As Pastor mentioned, they're uh, passing out those notes. If you need them, you can have them. If not, you don't want them, that's fine too. If you want to make paper airplanes, that's fine as well. It's technology. You can make your own technological innovations with your paper airplanes. I, that's fine with me. I am, uh, I'm excited to be able to talk a little bit more, uh, building off of last week on this idea of technology, discernment in the digital world and where we're at and where do we go forward uh, with it. We, uh, I mentioned last week in the, in the message two different books that uh, we really recommend. Uh, they are in the bookstore. Uh, we'd like to encourage you all to have them down here if you want to come look at them after the service. From the Garden to the City and then 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Uh, more of a, this one, a general overview, biblical approach to technology uh, in our world. And then this one, very getting very practical, but causing us to really look internally and saying what sin issues, what is being highlighted in our lives even in regard to the phone, cell phone, technology, and how that's impacting our lives, I'd really encourage you to take those, buy those, get those, and, and read them, and, and digest them, and see how that impacts uh, in your life. The, with, with the idea of the digital discernment, and I know that somewhere here, did anybody see the clicker? There it is. All right. Um, we do have Thursday evening, this coming Thursday evening, we have our first uh, Thursday night seminar session as well. As I mentioned this morning in the service, we will be doing more of an open forum, doing a discussion time, answering some questions. You bring your questions. We'll do our best to answer what we don't know, uh, which is more than we do know. Believe me, it's, it's one of those things where we will do our best to do some research. Pastor Tony will help out. I'll be there trying to give some answers, trying to give some direction uh, in, those, in those areas, some things you'll be really interested in as we show some videos and uh, talk about some of those different areas in regard to uh, our responsibility in digital discernment. It'll be in the North Hall. Uh, there will not be just here where there's not going to be any nursery or kids ministries for that evening. I know that may mean one parent or you can come and the other one may not be able to, but we just wanted to, to make sure you understood that. Um, as, we, as we talk about tonight, we want to talk about ourselves, technology, and our relationship with one another. Whether it's one another here or the others outside of our, our church and uh, looking at our responsibility to others. 1939 is considered by uh, many to be one of the greatest years in the motion picture industry. There were numbers of the, the quote-unquote greatest hits, whether it's Gone with the Wind, uh, uh, Stagecoach, you can look at The Hunchback of Notre Dame, you can look at Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I remember that one, I enjoyed watching that one. Uh, but I have to be honest, probably my favorite, favorite movie that came out of 1939 was The Wizard of Oz. Now, I will be the first to admit I am a self-proclaimed Wizard of Oz geek, uh, there, there are lots. I like reading on The Wizard of Oz. I like finding out weird things about The Wizard of Oz. And it's just, it's just something that I have uh, come to enjoy. I know like uh, Dorothy's silver slippers, even though they end up being ruby slippers in the movie, in the, in the original book by L. Frank Baum, they were silver slippers. They made them red because it looked better on the screen. So we changed that in order to make it look really pretty. Buddy Epson, the original person for The Tin Man was supposed to be, but he had the near-death experience because he was allergic to the paint. What some don't know is that Jack Haley, the next guy who actually became the Tin Man, actually had a severe eye infection from the paint as well, caused weeping, and it caused some other problems with him as well. Uh, maybe you didn't know this, but Toto actually made more money than any of the Munchkins did. He made $125 a week. No Munchkins made more than that. Is it even politically correct for me to be able to say Munchkins anymore? I hope. If not, don't put it online. Uh, this one, this one was an interesting one I found out. Victor Fleming, the director, there's actually a part where she, he smacks Judy Garland because what's the part where they, they meet the cowardly lion for the first time and he's, you know, doing the whole sobbing thing and she could not control herself. 
So he cut, he pulled her aside, and he just, he hauled off and smacked her and said, now go do the scene. And you can actually, you can actually see the tears in her face even the, and holding back the laughter at the same time. But there's all these little things that, that happen. Did you know that the snow that actually falls on them is, was asbestos? Because it looked the best. And, and the numbers of people who died because of cancer from, that were in the movie, it's, it's pretty interesting. On the, on the witch's death certificate, it's May 6, 1938. That's actually L. Frank Baum. That's the day he passed. They did a little homage to him. So all these little, little weird things that happened. One of the things I didn't know, my wife was so proud that she taught me this was I always, you know that first moment when you're watching it and you walk, she walks from the, the black and white house into color? And you're like, wow, the, the, the technology to be able to do that. They actually couldn't figure out the technology. They didn't know how to do it. So they actually painted the entire house uh, sepia color in order to make it look real like she was going from the black and white to the color. Now, we do all of that, but there's this moment in the story where it gets to the end. And what is happening is Toto, the little dog, goes behind and you remember, they're all enamored by everything with the wizard. And he's there, if you haven't seen him, but they're, they're all enamored by the, the, the glitz, the glamour, everything that's happening. And, and they're all paying attention to that. And the little dog notices that something's not right. Goes over to the side, pulls the screen, uh, the curtain away, and, and reveals the, the quote-unquote Wizard of Oz. And you hear him saying, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. And I'm afraid that this is what we do sometimes when we come to technology. We get so enamored by the glitz and the glamour. We see our devices and we love all the new things they can potentially do that we don't take time to pull the curtain back and see what is really behind it. See how it's impacting our lives or what areas that it's going to have an inroad into ourselves. So tonight, allow me to be your Toto. Yes, I just call myself a dog, but that's okay. Allow me to be the Toto. Pull, pull the curtain back and say, okay, what does the Bible say in regard to this idea of technology, us, social media, especially looking at our digital media? Remember last week we started off, Colossians chapter 3. Whatever we're going to do, whether it's in word or in deed, we need to do it all in the name of the Lord. It must be with his approval. It must be representing him well. So our social media responsibilities, our digital responsibilities, our technological uses must be that which honors and glorifies God. So we talked last week that technology is the tools that we use to transform God's creation for the practical purposes of making life easier or solving problems. What, what do they do to make life easier to solve problems? So let's play, um, it's not a real good game, but we'll play a little game real quick for a second. Groundbreaking technology, what, what is it? Any, anyone got an idea? It's describing something. Come on, you better have an answer, Michaela. What is it? It's a shovel, very good. Okay, you'll get it as... Sorry, some of our teens love puns, and that, that was, okay. But beyond that, think about this for a second. Just real quick, jot, jot it down. How has the pencil made life easier or solved the problem? It, was, it is technology. Just go ahead. I mean, write it down. Or tell the person next to you, what problem did it solve? It's easier to do math? <laughs> Don't do math with a pen, right? Did anybody, was I the only one who was never allowed to do math with a pen? Okay, it was always with a pencil. Did it, did it help with the, the passing down of oral tradition? Now there's the ability to write it down, to, to write down some of those things. What about the TV and radio? How did it make life easier? Or did it solve a problem? Now we can look at the ills of radio and television very quickly. But what are some of the, what, are, what did it allow us to do? To communicate, yeah, to communicate quicker. 
to have the, the president come out over the radio waves and the families are huddled around listening to see what they're going to say. It made mass communication. Here's another pun one, right? It smashed all records. Someone's got it. Come on, Kent, you got it? No. It's either tapes or CDs, okay? They got rid of all the records, and now this, this new thing, new technology had come out, the tapes, the CDs. But what about this? Printing press. How did that solve a problem? How did it make life easier? Did that radically change it? That technology changed the way information was mass distributed. It did. Up until the point of pre-Gutenberg, I mean, you're sitting there and you're copying it down little by little. Now with the movable type and the iron ink, they're able to get things and move them quicker. Email. It made mail communications faster. So now we can, we can pass it on the information in that much uh, of a more rapid one. Here's one. What, what uh, in, I put it, well, it's up there. It revolutionized long-distance communications, relationships, speed of information, even provided a place for people to fall in love. The picture went out of animation order. But how many of you would have honestly said the internet, probably, as opposed to the telegraph? But it actually, you look back to what the telegraph did, it made instant communication. That was the technological advancement. In fact, there's even a book called Wired, it's a, actually a, a drama from the 1890s, Wired Love, A Romance of Dots and Dashes, about two individuals who were telegraph communicators, and they were sending messages back and forth. The first instant messaging and talking about how they're falling in love, and they, they fall in love, but they didn't know actually how to communicate outside of over the wire. So when they moved to the area near each other, they actually start, the, the man runs a wire from the one house to the other place so that they can communicate via dots and dashes. And it talks about, it's, it's a drama, but it talks about some of the things that were happening uh, during those eras. So the telegraph allowed that. Now we look, at, we look at technology. Technology is a good gift. It's a God-given gift. And we're using it, enjoying it. But as I mentioned last week, we must use it well. And we must be weary of it. We can't just look and wholeheartedly embrace everything and say there's not going to be any ramifications. Our devices, they change us. Technology changes us. So we need to be weary. We need to be cautious and say, what are the filters? What do we take it through to see what we need? We must ask, is this technology helping me honor God or is it compounding my rebellion against God? Is it making me to to struggle with covetousness? Is there, are the, the, the apps I'm using, are they making me more uh, proud? Are they making me want to portray myself rather than exalt God? Is my, is my television to the point where it's taking me away from God and it's causing me to set something wicked before my eye? What is it, what is it doing? So we have to look and say, is this helping me to honor God? Is it helping me to rebel against God? And the frustrating thing is, can't one device do both? You can, you can use your phone to honor God and you can use your phone to dishonor God and to compound your rebellion. So it's working through the battle of saying, I have to be a discerner. I have to discern my devices. Are they going to honor God? Or are they going to cause my rebellion? The media, the content that I consume and that I create, is it right or is it wrong? This is a legitimate question we have to be asking. Like never before have we had the number of producers of media because it's no longer just Hollywood producing media. You're all producers. We are all producers of media. Every time you take a picture and you upload it, you've just produced media content for people to see. Every time you take a Vine or you take a, you take a snapshot or you take a movie or you, you upload something to YouTube, you have taken and become a producer of media. 
So now the question is, the stuff that you're uploading, the stuff that I am producing, does that bring honor to God? Or is it just simply highlighting my need to be known by everybody? Is it highlighting my narcissistic tendencies and say, hey, look at me, I am the greatest, my pride is exalted. What's it highlighting? Or is it honoring, is it honoring God? And as we talk, there is a distinctly Christian way to think and interact with, with technology. We can't be, we cannot just look and say, we're not going to use technology anymore. That, that, that idea is just, it's ludicrous, because if we're going to do it, let's shut the air off, let's shut the lights off, let's take the screens down, let's get rid of how you got here tonight. I mean, we, we use technology on a consistent basis, and I think most of us are on that page where we look at it. So in order to discern biblically in, an, in our digital world, we have to reflect on our ways, on what we're doing, on the devices we're using, and submit them to the principles of Scripture. Now, as I mentioned last week, you're not going to find, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not Facebook, or you should, YouTube. it's not there. But we are responsible to take principles. Why do we do that? Why do we take the ideas of principles and say, let's, let's advance them, and let's understand them, and let's learn to be discerning? First time I did uh, a series or a message like this, pastor asked me to do it, it was about 10 years ago. And life changes quickly in 10 years, as we highlighted. 10 years ago, the two, the two main social media sites that were out there were MySpace and Zanga. Probably most of you, maybe some of you remember MySpace, but you don't. There was this little upstart thing called Facebook, but everybody was sort of like, yeah, that's never going to catch on. It's stupid. They use it in schools, and that's about it. My, how 10 years have changed, changed the dynamic of our world. So we can't just look and say, well, don't do Facebook or don't do Zanga or don't do my... Some of those things we can if they violate Scripture very clearly. But we need to learn these principles, learn the truths and say, how did the principles of Scripture impact and apply to, to my use? So we have to be discerning. To my use of technology, discernment is understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong. The idea of purpose. What is the purpose of my device? What is the purpose of the app that I'm using? What is the purpose of my social media? What am I, what am I trying to do? And when I look at my discernment, the purpose that I'm trying to say is, is this right? Is this wrong? And understanding that God's word is the source of truth, that God has delivered that to us, and so we have to look at that. Because when we look at our, our world, we're to the point where, where media is omnipresent. It is everywhere very few places, you start even looking at the remotest parts of Africa, they're, they're developing with internet and with social media and with uh, digital aspects. But when we get to the point where media has become omnipresent, their influence can stop people from learning how to live wisely, think deeply, and love generously. Because we tend to, those are, those are aspects where it's other-centered. It's not just thinking about myself but a lot of these areas cause us to think just about us. So we have to look and say, how do we learn to live wisely? How do we learn to think and to think deeply, to self-reflect, to look and to say, wait, what happens if I do this? What is the, the ramifications? What is the long-standing outworking of this choice? That is biblical wisdom, to love others generously. So we look and we say, okay, how are we doing this? Whenever we're going to Scripture, we take the commands and the principles of Scripture. 
We take the, the, the one truth that we get from a verse. We take this, this concept that is there in the scriptures, and we can apply it. Now, we can apply it to multiple different areas. So tonight, we're going to start talking about communication in a second and about our speech. Can the idea of our communication be applied to family? The answer is yes. Can the idea of communication be applied to family, to school? Okay, sorry about that. That's what happens when you do something on a Mac and you try and take it over to a PC and you don't check it all the way. So you can get in the Mac PC debate all you want. But, uh, or digital, digital media. That's where we're going to look tonight. We're just going to say we could apply all these truths to a lot of different places. But we're going to take these principles this evening and just apply them directly to this area of our digital media. So let's talk about communication. Let's look at a couple areas. Areas that we've seen as we've been talking on staff, areas that I, when you, not even just on staff, you start doing research on how social media, how digital media has impacted humanity. The number one that continually often comes up is communication or communication skills, how we talk to each other, how we treat each other. So let's, let's look at some of the passages. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Take those thoughts for a second. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. The more we speak, the easier it is to get ourselves in trouble. The more we're talking, the more words that we put out, we find ourselves stumbling into sin, into areas that we are hurting people, we're we are directed at others, and we're tearing them down. We're hurting, but the one who restrains his lips, that's a prudent person. They, they show knowledge. But that's not easy, is it? When all of a sudden you're reading a post and you're like, I've got to say something. I've got to comment on that. I mean, even how, how it's impacted Social media, it's really interesting to me watching through the years with, with the teens, uh, how they've, they're so used to commenting. On a, so when somebody makes a statement, they make a comment. Somebody makes a statement, they make a comment. That's actually translated over. It took me a while to get over it, but when I'm preaching and I say something, they'll lean over and go, yeah, that was good. They, they, they'll talk to each other, and I'm like, you never talk when we're in a service. You, you know, that's, that's how I was raised, right, Dad? You know, don't do it, you know. I got many backhands, Shh. You know, but they're used to that idea of commenting as soon as something is stated, something is made. So we have to be careful. Every time a fool speaks, we must be thinking when we're speaking. So we take those truths and say, wait, before I speak, I need to think. I need to think about the words that I'm saying. I need to not only think about the words that I'm saying, but how are other people going to perceive those words? So I, I may say something, and the hardest thing oftentimes to do in any form of written communication is to portray, whether it's sarcasm, whether it's joy, whether it's, you know, uh, disdain, the emotions. And so they come out with emojis that try to help, but it still doesn't completely, completely do that. But it's trying to help people because they understood. People understand. We need to be thinking about how other people are perceiving what we're saying. So as you comment, as you post, as you upload, are you thinking about not just what are you saying, but how are the other people perceiving that? We talk about the use of words. We talk about how often, how much. Is it, is it really true that they're out there? Sure, we talk a lot. 
But let's just take a couple stats real quick. We're just going to fly through stats because stats can unimpress or overwhelm. Did you know that today on Facebook, there are more people on Facebook than there were people on the, the earth 200 years ago? That's, now, that's from a Snapple bottle cap, but I trust, I trust it, you know. But it's still, <laughs> I know, where do I get, I know, I just, everybody's like, we're done. He's getting stuff from Snapple. But uh, just, just that concept of how many people. In fact, if you really start to take it, there are 2.01 billion, that's billion, active Facebook users. That's a lot of words. Now, there are 1.15 mobile. That means it's on their phone. It's going with them everywhere they go. Billion people who daily use Facebook. There are every second 700 updates. You start, you start looking at Twitter. 328 million Twitter users. 68 million in the United States alone. It's considered by many to be the news source for the next, the next generation. It's where we're going to get our news. But what, what scares me about this is the two most popular Twitter accounts in 2017 were at Justin Bieber and at Katy Perry. Neither two that I really want to see anyone saying this is my authority for life. And yet they're the two, the two most. There are 500 million tweets per day. That's 6,000 roughly a second. You take Instagram, there are all the stats. 776 million users. 60% between the ages of 18 and 29. 17% of teens say this is the most important social media site that there is. More than 40 billion photos have been uploaded to Instagram since its inception. That's, that's a lot. Now, that's not even counting all the comments that go underneath all of the 40 billion pictures. Start, start processing this. Where there's a lot of words, transgressions not lacking... We start to look, Snapchat, 173. And, and some of you may be like, I don't know what half of these are, but there are some who do. We just want to lay it out. One million snaps created every day, 71% under the age of 34. So it's, it's more of a, a younger, younger app that's used. But the people who open it, you use it, open it on an average of 18 times a day. So it's something that is continually being, being used. Where there's many words, and words are not just anymore just the verbal A, B, C, D, F, G written down. It's also through our pictures. It's also through the, the comments that we make. Talk about YouTube and the uploading of, of YouTube. And you might say, well, that's not social. YouTube is considered social media. In fact, it's quickly taking over Facebook as the number one uh, in the world. 300 hours of video are uploaded every minute. You can't watch it all. Now, there's some great things. YouTube, you, you, change, you change a car, right? The alternator. Was it the alternator? Change the alternator on the car because you watch it. You learn how to do There's a whole bunch of good stuff on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of garbage on YouTube. But you just process all of that for a moment in regard to the amount of information that is flowing on a re- regular, steady basis. One doctor put it this way. Posting dinner, selfies, vacay photos, it's vacation is their, their interaction. However, couples forget how to talk in real life with all the texting and social media updating that they do. They seem to know everything about each other and each other's day already, so they don't feel the need to ask much in person. It's getting to the point where we we talk so much on our devices that we're forgetting how to talk personally. Have you ever seen these pictures? They've been around the internet. They're around... They're, they're ones where they crop out the devices. And you just, you, you soak it in for a second. 
the brother sitting on the couch, interacting. The newly married couple, or the couple sitting on the, in their, they're communicating. We have, to, we have to look and say, on two spectrums here, are we looking and saying, we're throwing out a lot of words, but are we really communicating? Are we missing the opportunity to person-to-person, face-to-face, interact with each other? Take another verse out of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There is more hope for them, for a fool, than for him. The heart of a righteous man ponders, uh, ponders to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out the, the evil. You look at the idea here where the heart of the, the, the quickness to speech James chapter 1 says, let everyone be quick to speak, or quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So we look and we need to say, hey, in our communication, take some time. Don't just look and say, I've got to quickly respond, because if I don't get it in quick, if I'm not the one who's the first responder to really shut this person down, I've got to, I've got to be that person. Because the wise individual is reflective. They take a moment to think what they're going to say. We've said it for how long? Think before you speak. Well, the the same thing goes true and must be translated into our digital world because this is communication. This is the way people are interacting nowadays. And it's not, and it is not, and it is not just the 30-somethings, the 20-somethings, and the teenagers. Multiple ones of you this week have come to me and said, you would not believe it. I'm sitting here at work and there's these 50, 60-year-old ladies sitting there and just whining and complaining about all the garbage on Facebook that they're, they're dealing with and all the gossip and they're talking about this and they're talking about this. We all live in this area. And we have to look and say, how, how are we communicating? Fools, they're impulsive. And all they do, that includes their advice. Do we quickly just throw stuff out or do we take a step back? It's hard. Because what do you do when somebody texts you? You want to respond right back right away because if you don't, you feel like you're being rude. That's your, but are you giving them advice but you feel like you've got to do it quickly and you haven't had time to process, to think? And we have a responsibility to not be like the fool but to be slow to speak, to think through what we are going to say rather than just quickly Snapchatting, the idea of it being fast, okay? The idea of the instant message, but look through, and look through and take time. Before you hit the send button, take a step back. Look and say, is this something I need to send? Is this important for me to be putting it out there? Or is it something I can take a moment and hit delete? When we look at Ephesians chapter 4, when we talk about communication, honestly, that's probably one of the passages that we look at. There's what we call the four laws of communication where it talks about putting away falsehood, speaking the truth, don't be angry, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, uh, don't let corrupt talk come out, but that which is good to the use of edifying, to building up, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and malice, put those things away from you, but rather be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. All of these areas here dealing with our speech. And so what are the laws of communication that, that come out of this passage that help us understand that we can apply? First of all, we need to be honest. We need to be honest in the passage. It says, therefore, putting away, it doesn't just say put away lying or falsehoods, but he also says, hey, you be truthful. You be honest with what you're saying. It's, uh, it's looking and saying, putting off lying, but also speaking the truth, to be honest. When we talk about being honest, 
I want to talk about some deception. Now, this, this is my alliteration. This isn't anybody's scientific thing, but we talk about deception, and we talk about it in regard to social media or in regard to our internet use. There's sender deception to, to portray yourself falsely, to portray yourself not as you really are, to have to touch up your picture, to look at it, throw a new filter on, retouch it up in order to make sure that you look perfect rather than looking the way that, that God has made you perfect. And so we look at it and say, how do you display yourself? When you, when you are sending stuff, is it always about the way you look? Looking and saying, how do, I, how do I do that? Do I touch up, filter, retouch? It's an interesting stat. 80% of people feel as if they have been deceived by somebody online. And if you start thinking about it, how many times have we portrayed ourselves as something that we're not? But we don't want to, that's, that's just the way it is. You just make yourself to be better than you really are. Is that really being honest? Do you want to hire somebody like that at your job who portrays himself to be this, but then you find out they're really that? You build up your, you know, your LinkedIn account, and you make yourself to be this amazing, fabulous person, and then when you get to the job, they realize that you're just a normal, average Joe like the rest of us, and you're not this, and it's like, you've deceived me. We need to make sure that we're honest. Not only uh, sender deception, but we, we look at really what we've done is we've created an alternate reality. We talk about virtual reality out there in cyberspace, but we've created almost an alternate identity at times. Or we need to be careful that we're not doing that. Creating this, this alternate persona that's out there, and it gets overwhelming. Numbers of teens and young adults in polls have stated that the hardest thing for them to do is to keep up this life and keep up their real life and trying to make the two match. Because they're trying to keep up with everything, everything and everyone that's out there. We talk about self-deception. Deceiving ourselves, the Huffington Post wrote, about, wrote, wrote this, individuals are becoming increasingly depressed from comparing themselves to their own profile, the one that they've created in that alternate reality. It, it meaning that if a person's reality does not match the digital illusion they post on their profiles, emotionally, one may feel they are not living up to the best form of themselves. We're putting it out there. And let's be honest. Teens, you may not understand this illusion, but how many of us put the B side of our life out on social media? You remember on records, the A side always had the, the good songs, right? And the B sides were just sort of what was left over. That's not what we portray. We always portray the good things on how wonderful everything is. We don't I, I tend not to fail as a parent today. If it's not funny, I mean, if it's funny, then yeah, I might get laughs. But yeah, failed as a parent today, yelled at my kid, got really mad. We don't do that. But isn't that life? We tend to portray one thing when life is, is very much not the same. A third one I want to throw out there is the idea of spam accounts. Some of you are looking and going, spam? I hate spam. I love spam. Okay, I, not that kind of spam. I like spam in a can. It is, see, now you're all like, how can you do, it's wonderful. Okay, but the idea of spam, you know, we always used it, we thought it was initially this idea of somebody sends you garbage emails and so, you know, it becomes, they're spamming you, they're spamming you, and that's, that's true. But a new, a new aspect in this area of, of being honest is what are called, what are called spam accounts, or sometimes they're called Finsta, uh, short for fake Instagram. Uh, which is where they've really started up. 
what it is, is, is it's individual. I'll have, okay, so I have at Teens of Faith Lebanon. I don't care. You can know it. That is my, that's my Instagram account. So if you want to follow me, you're more than welcome to. So here I am at Teens of Faith Lebanon. That's, that's my Instagram account. But if I want to, if I, I don't want you to see everything there really is to know about Pastor Art. So I'm going to create at AW3. Don't tell anybody, you know, that's, that's going to be my new one. Now, it's, it's not initially saying that I'm trying to be clandestine and going to do something sinful. It could just be that I just want to deal with 10 of you. I only want to deal with my relatives. And so I have this separate account that not everybody knows about, that it's, it's a hidden account. It's not, it's not clandestine in the sense of you can't get to it. It's just I don't tell a lot of people about it. And what I'm finding out and learning, have learned recently, is that there are a lot of, a lot of people who have those. But the question is, is, do people know about it? Teens, your parents should be aware. You should not just portray, well, yes, this is, this is my Instagram account, but they don't need to know about this one. And I appreciate the numbers of you who have said, you know what, my parents know about my spam account, they know about my secondary account, but they know about the other one as well. You need to be honest on both, both fronts. That translates into, in a marriage relationship, your spouse, do you have emails? that your spouse does not know about, email accounts that they're unaware of. You're saying, well, it's just for garbage email at work. Wisdom says make sure they know about them. Don't have separate accounts that they're not your spouse. My wife knows my account. She knows my passwords. I want her to know that. I don't want that to be something separate. But looking and saying, keeping that together, being honest and open in my communication with her so that, so that she's aware. Not only are we to be honest, the, the verses say to keep current. Verses 26 and 27 start talking about, uh, in, in Ephesians, be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, don't give place to the devil. He, he looks and says, hey, deal with the, deal with the issues, deal with the, the struggles that are at hand. Keep current on what is happening. Now, there's, there's a whole aspect of anger, Using anger. When is anger not sin? Simply, uh, anger is not sin when you're, dealing, when you're dealing with the sin or you're using anger directed at a problem that you're trying to solve, but it becomes sin when you begin to attack people or when you self, you're, you're self-angry, you're brooding in your bitterness, you're getting frustrated, you're allowing it to creep in and that anger is steaming up within you and you're sitting there at the screen, you're like, I'm going to kill him. And you want to verbally lash out and rant right on top of them. And you're ready to go. We need to, it says, deal with those issues. Keep current. Now, we'll talk about keeping current in a second here. But let me throw something out. This was from a professor at University of South Africa. And he makes, his name is Craig Blewett. He makes a, he makes a good observation. He says, hey, before you post, give it some space and think about it. He says, you, you want to post, you want to, you want to upload something, or you want to go with somebody, you want to deal with a comment, stop. You can type it, but don't post it. Before you hit send, you know, take, take a second. Pause. Wait for a while. Now, he recommends to the people that he counsels, he recommends a minimum of a half an hour, if not sleep on it overnight before you post it. That'll send some of us into withdrawal. <laughs> we want to deal with it right now, and I've got to deal with it, but... Sometimes even that idea of letting not the sun go down upon your wrath. Haven't there been times in a relationship, those of you who are married, you look and say, hey, Sharon, we need to deal with this issue. 
but right now, neither of us are in the, the mental, spiritual frame to deal with it. Let's pray about it, and we're going to set a time tomorrow to, to talk about this and to, to have a conversation about it. So it may not always happen right before the sun goes down, but we set a time and we say, hey, we're going to deal with it. But pause, take a moment, assess it. He says to think about what you typed, and that's where he brings in these ideas of think. Is what you're going to comment, is what you're going to say about this individual, is it true? Is it hurtful? What's your intended purpose? Is it to slam them? Is it to tear them down? Is it to ridicule them? Is it to make them look stupid in front of other people? Are, you looking to, are your remarks going to be perceived by others as racial? Are they going to be perceived by others as demeaning and derogatory? And I know that sometimes it's like you can't figure out what everybody's perception is going to be. I understand that. But we need to take a moment, take a step back. Is what I'm going to post, is it going to be illegal? Sadly, we've got to talk about that. We've got to have those conversations. Parents, you need to have those conversations with your teens about what is sexting and what, what, what qualifies as that. Sadly, we shouldn't have to have that as Christian parents, but we do. Is it, what you're going to do, is it illegal? Is it necessary? Do you really, is it, if, if you don't post it, is it really going to not change the world? You know, you start, you start going through this checklist and you start, I, I started like, why did I post that? 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 Is it kind? Taking those concepts and saying, okay, I need to think about what I'm posting. If it goes through all those things, hey, it's true, it's, hurt, it's not hurtful, it's not illegal, it's necessary, it is kind of what I'm saying. I've waited for a little bit. I can confirm with somebody else. I've talked with some of you. You know, I'll give you a call and say, I really want to say this. What's your thoughts? And some of you have responded back and said, well, if you say that, I would perceive it this way. It doesn't sound good. Okay, I didn't think about it in that light, so I, I retract my comment or I don't post it. But if it goes through all of those things, then go ahead and post it. Send it. If it doesn't, delete it. Now, if you're like me, you're looking and saying, but Pastor Art, that takes away the idea of being able to communicate quickly. But doesn't it highlight the fact of being able to communicate biblically? To look and to say, hey, and, and you can do some of those pretty quick. Some of the, the mundane, hey, how are you doing? Doing good. Where are you going? This where You can think through some of that quickly. But to look and say, is what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm about to post, what I'm about to upload to YouTube, does it meet all those criteria? And if it does, great. Hey, honor God with it. But if not, take a step back. Because I don't have to be quick to speak. I don't have to be right on Johnny on the spot when it comes to, to saying those things. Take a moment. Step back. Answer a fool. How do, you, how do you do this? It takes some discernment. Do you answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him? Or do you answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes? How do you figure that out? How do you have the discernment? How do you do that that quick? Sometimes it takes some time to wrestle through. And we're not going to wrestle through that tonight. I'm going to let you wrestle through. When do you answer a fool? When don't you answer a fool? In fact, Matthew 18, how do you, how do you go about when somebody is going to uh, approach you, maybe offend you? Do you deal with it on social media? Do you not deal with it on social media? Do you have to follow all the patterns of Matthew 18 if they're not a church member? Those are all topics we could talk about, you can wrestle through, you can think about. But another law of communication, a third one, is to attack the problem and not the person. When you are looking at what you're posting, 
when you are looking at how you're commenting on social media, when you are sending texts back and forth, when you are sending an email that you have to think through, are you dealing with the problem or are you just attacking the person? In fact, in James chapter 3, it talks about that out of our mouth comes cursings and those blessings, the cursings, the things that tear down and the edifying, those things that, that are building up. We're even told in the Ephesians 4 passage, don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is only that which is good to the building up. When you look at this unwholesome speech, the corrupt communication, is your speech gracious before others? Or is your speech, through your typing, through your emails, through your handwritten letter, is it dealing with the problem? Or are you attacking just the person alone? Now, there are times I understand that if somebody's dealing with, uh, you know, uh, false teachers, things like that, we, we deal with some of those character issues and looking at that. But we still want to be addressing the problem. There's a, there's a huge internet aspect when we talk about this. And we have to be careful, especially I think this is something that uh, as older individuals we can fall into. Because shouldn't we, if you take the concept of uh, through the book of Proverbs, you have the naive, the simple-minded, you have the, 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 the person, the, the adolescent, growing up into eventually the wise individual. Through life, have you not learned to be a little bit more logical? Have you not had more life experiences? Have you not had the ability to, to think through some issues? So now when you're on, a, you're on a site and somebody posts something, isn't there times that some, somebody who's young, they post things that are illogical? Sure, they are. They post things that are they're really stupid. Yes, that happens. But I have to be careful that I don't become what is called an internet troll. Okay? And some of you are like, well, I like trolls. Some of, you, some of you do, some of you like the movie, you loved it. But you look and say, what does it mean? Here's the idea of trolling on the internet. It's someone who deliberately tries to disrupt, attack, offend, cause trouble often by attacking uh, attacks against people. Why do they do that? Because they can, because it's the internet. Uh, There's an interesting article um, that's talked about uh, on LifeWare.com. It's 10 types of internet trolls you might meet online. And it talks about the insult troll. They're the pure hater, plain and simple. They like to simply just rip into people and call them stupid and idiots and morons. And they use all these terms that we wouldn't use in our normal everyday conversation. But because I'm behind a screen and I have this great keyboard courage, I can say whatever I, I need to say. They talk about the persistent debate troll. They've always got to get the last word in and you throw something out. You may have even had one the day, but they're going to throw a spin on it because they want to keep debating and they don't want it to end and they're always going to be right. They go through the grammar and spell check troll. You know, your grammar's horrible. They might have made the right point, but your grammar is just horrible. How dare you? You ain't going to do it that way. Come on. And, and they look and they, they go through. And we can, we can become that type of person. But what's really interesting in that book, uh, Tony Rinke, The 12 Ways uh, Your Phone Changes You, he uses a biblical term for this idea of trolling, and it's the word slander. That we look and we're not just looking to help somebody to encourage them, but rather we're looking to tear them down. Because if we rip them apart and we tear them down and we slander them, we feel better about ourselves. We feel as if we have won the day. But we need to look and say, I cannot be an individual who is prone to slander. That includes all of my devices. That includes my emails. That includes my comments, my uploads, my posts that are happening. In fact, 
I would encourage you to think about Titus chapter 3 when you're, when you're thinking about wanting to really shred into somebody. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It's where we were. But now because we have the righteousness of Christ, we're saved, we're on our way to heaven, we're going to tell you where you're wrong, which we need to in some ways, but we're not going to do it in a gracious way. We need to make sure that we are not being slanderous, that we are not being unkind, that we are thinking before we speak, that it is true, that it is not hurtful, it's not illegal, that we look and say it's necessary and it is kind to think about what we're saying. Because when we look at our speech, we need to, the fourth law is to act and not to react. And, he, and he, Paul says, hey, put off this, put on this. And he looks at all these social sins, these sins that we, we, we don't commit the malice against ourselves, we don't commit the bitterness against ourselves, the rage against ourselves, but rather we look and say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. You can go to Colossians chapter 3, and you get some of the exact same words where Paul is saying, hey, put these off. Get rid of these social sins that we take out on each other verbally, through communication, through our talk. And he says, take those social sins off the idea of the bitterness, the refusal to treat somebody as if they've never hurt you, the wrath, the flaring outbursts of anger, the, 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 the hostility that we have toward everybody with, with the idea of anger. Clamor is that idea of this harsh contention that I have with people to the point where I will take it to strife and public quarreling because I am going to make a point rather than, rather than dealing with it. But rather, I'm to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. There have been times I've wanted to be very unkind to some of you in some of your posts. I'll be, I'm, I'm human. And I've wanted to lash out, and, and this verse pops into my head. Be tender-hearted, Art. <sighs> forgiving. Someone has forgiven you before for the things you've said. Man, I speak and I talk a whole lot more than some of you do. So I, I've no doubt offended people before, and yet people in their forgiveness, love covers a multitude of sins, have covered my transgressions. Why do I always feel the need to have to point out someone else's? That maybe not even a transgression, it's just a comment I don't like. You can keep posting about how great the Vikings are, and I'm going to tell you how wrong that is. But, well, he doesn't post, so it's okay. <laughs> but... Uh, I, but it doesn't need to go to a point where I'm going to get, you know, I could, I could use Aaron wherever he's at. He's a Green Bay Packers fan. And the Bears and Packers, we could, and I could make it become something where I'm yelling and angry. It's not worth it. It's really, there you are. <laughs> um, but I rather I need to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Having those social graces, not just when I'm face-to-face with you, but when my keyboard courage kicks in. When I'm feeling like, man, I can tell this computer everything I want because it's going gonna, it's gonna to translate. Be careful. Be cautious. Because no matter who, uh, who, how, spell check, how irresponsible the other person is, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to act biblically. And the more we interact with our culture, the more we interact with the world on these platforms, the social media platforms, which we, we should do in some areas that are safe and appropriate, we have the responsibility to act biblically. 
You can't expect somebody who's not saved or even somebody who's newly saved or immature in the faith to continually be acting responsible and biblically, but we can expect ourselves to. You have and I have that responsibility. What's interesting is you take Matthew 12 and just take our modern communication. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, your fingers type. Your texts are sent. What do they reveal about you? If you were to take all of them, and if only people could ever see just your comments, they could never see you, but they could only see your emails that you've sent out. They could only see the comments that you've posted. They could only see any of those areas. What would it reveal about you? What would it reveal about your heart? Would it reveal that you're arrogant, that you feel like you have all of the answers in the world? Would it reveal that you're slanderous? Would it reveal that you're unkind? Would it reveal that you hate certain dynamics and sects of people? Or would it show that you are a kind and gracious and tender-hearted believer who says you're a Christian and you act like you're a Christian? What would it say? Not only do we talk uh, about our conversation, but let's take another, another area. Social media and where it impacts us and others. Let's talk about our time management specifically looking at, uh, in some ways here, our work. Proverbs twelve eleven says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So when I'm working, the person, he puts his hand to the plow and he's going to stay and he's going to work his land. Take that farming agricultural society. They're going to work and work and work in order to produce bread. They're being diligent through what they say. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man diligent in his work? He will stand before kings. He will be somebody who is, who is working hard and is focused and is doing the diligent responsibility that he has as an individual. Take Luke chapter 14. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? At first, when I read this in in one of the books, I was like, how does that have anything to do with my work and my time management? But they challenged on the idea of, if you're going to sit down and build a building, you're you're going to count the cost, you're going to count everything that's responsible. That includes all the time that it's going to take you to build, to build that building. And they applied it then to our lives. And our lives are what we have and we're building, you know, uh, Paul uses the idea of we're, we're laying up gold and silver and precious stones and wood, hay and stubble. And our life is being built through and we're, we're moving toward this completion at the end. Have I sat down and really thought through, how am I managing my time and how am I using it for the glory of God? Am I using it in such a way that it is bringing glory to him or am I wasting it away in pursuits that are trivial? Am I losing time that is so precious to me? Uh, when we look at it in our career, Forbes did a, Forbes did a study just this year. They, uh, I put down, do what you're supposed to do and avoid the distractions. Some of the distractions in this, in this poll, they said that 31% of the people who were polled said that they waste roughly 30 minutes a day at work. 31% said they waste about an hour a day at work. And it goes on, and you can see all the stats all the way up to some people saying up to four hours a day, they're, they're really not doing their job. They're just sort of wasting it away. How you get away with that, I don't know. I could never get away with it, okay, because I got a really good boss, and he's wonderful. No. Uh, you look at it, and you say, how do, how do you do that? They, they said this. 
here were the things, the top four things, areas that they struggled with, these people in this, this poll. They said, in my life, cell phone and texting. You get texts at work. What do you do? Do you answer them? Do you not? Now, granted, some of it now, it's so integrated. It's like the screen technology. There's always screens in our lives. They're always present. How do we, but are they personal or are they business related? You're in the middle of school, teens, and you're getting texts. You're supposed to be in school. Put the text aside. Soak in the knowledge that you're to get. Gossiping, sitting around talking about people. Spending extra time on the internet, not related to work, but rather related to trivial pursuits. 38% to social media. That's Forbes. That's, that's not me making up something. That's, you know, a pretty secular company uh, group looking out and saying, here's, here's areas we're struggling with when it comes to our work. What about we as believers? We are to set an example. We are to work diligently in our careers. When we look at the different passages on, on working, we look and we say, hey, those who work hard uh, and with skill typically succeeded in their careers. The person who was diligent stands before the kings. Now, we know that doesn't always happen. We know that there are moments where you're fired because and, and nobody ever really knows the reason. But we need to be working hard. We need to be diligent. A hard worker is not present, but absent. Now, it took me a second to, to wrap my head around when I was typing that. You can be present at work, but completely absent. Have you ever worked with somebody like that where the, the body is here, but they're no good? They're just there. You're like, come on. As believers, we are to be diligent. We are to put our hands to the plow. We are to work hard. So when we come to work, it's not just, hey, I punch the clock and I stand here. I punch the clock and I work hard. I, I'm diligent. To not do my work is considered to be thievery. Ephesians chapter 4 it talks a little bit about when you're not doing your job, it's as if you're stealing. Steal no more. And your job, my job, and yours, my job, it's easy to put under this, but yours as well, it is spiritual work. And God expects us to be diligent. So that means we have to be careful of the distractions that come across our way through a technological society, through the, the pop-ups that happen, through the emails that come across, like, ooh, I got to... You know, I got to get that one. I got to do that one. I got to find that one. The text, the, the buzzing in the pocket, it might mean removing your cell phone far away from you while you're trying. I did that. I did that a couple times this week, especially today I did it. I left my cell phone at home. And Sharon's like, did you get my text? I'm like, no. Why not? Because my phone's at home. Why? Because I needed to focus. And I knew if I had it next to me, I'd be wanting to check that and football scores and everything else. And I wanted to be able to focus. So we, we look at that. Time management, Ephesians chapter 5, also says this. Look carefully how you walk. Not as fools but wise, redeeming or making the best use of time because the days are evil. Colossians chapter 4. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward those that are outside of our body. Making the best use of our time. We have a responsibility to take that which is most precious. Now, I, I know you can argue with the statement, the most precious thing I have is my salvation, and it's Jesus Christ, hands down. But in the, in the idea of this, your life, my life, it's precious. And we only have so many hours. Pastor used that illustration a few weeks back about the marbles and how many marbles we have left in our lives. And we look and we say, wait, I've only got so much time on this earth, and I don't even know how long that is. Am I redeeming it? Am I making the best use of my time to bring honor to God 
Or am I going after these trivial things? They're not all evil. I still enjoy a good YouTube video every once in a while. I still enjoy my Studio C, which some of the teens love. You know, I still, I still like some of those things. But if I'm always doing that and I'm not redeeming the time, how can I do it? There's a, um, a conversation that takes place on a, a video uh, where it talks about a lady who, she's a stay-at-home mom, working hard, working hard, but she found herself completely captivated by Farmville, which Farmville is sort of passe now, but she found herself losing multiple t- hours during the day because she had to go, Farmville, you've got to plant your crops, and then you've got to come back a little bit longer and, and make sure your crops are fed and watered, and then you've got to come back at another time, and you've got to eventually harvest your crops so that you can do it all again, so that you can earn points, so that you can earn coins, so that you can grow your farm, so that your farm can be more productive, so that you can continue to do this, and she found herself being sucked in and consumed to the point where she's not getting her work done. She's not getting her responsibilities at home done because she was so sucked into that one entity. Are there things in our life that are pulling and draining and sucking away the time, that precious life that we have? Are we just looking and saying, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's only 15 minutes. Realize if you just say at work, if you just squandered 15 minutes at work every day, just doing social media or just doing extra texting or whatever, that translates into an extra week and a half of vacation. Full 40 hours, it translates into a good amount of time that you've, you've wasted away. And wouldn't we like to get some of that back so that we didn't have to take extra work home, so we didn't have to do some of those things? Adam Alter, and what's called a TED Talk. TED is uh, the, uh, it's technology, uh, entertainment, and design, but they do a lot of technology talks. He talks about why screens make us less happy. In 2007, when the iPhone first came out to 2017, taking, they've taken the stats and looked over it. This is the, the blue is the, uh, the time that you're going to sleep typically in a day. This is your, your life, your 24-hour period broken into to three segments. The gold is the time that you're at school or you're, roughly, you're at work roughly eight hours again. Seven and a half to eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours. And then this, this whole other area, the green area right here, is what they call survival skills or survival necessities. It's the time you're going to clean, you're going you're to take care of the kids, you're going to do uh, your, your food preparation, the time that you're going to eat, those things roughly about two to three hours in a day. So he says the white there is the, the rest of that time right there indicates the time that you have left in the day to highlight who you are, your hobbies you're going to pursue, the things that you're going to do, those things that are going to make you, you. That's all the time we have. In 2007, they took the idea of screens, and they took the, the amount of screens. I'm not going to go through all the numbers just for sake of time, but the, the picture gives it to you. About half of that leftover time is what we pursued and when we kept them in our eyes watching, whether it's TV, phones, different things like that. By 2015, that time that we have for ourselves or for our hobbies or for our pleasures or for our time with other people, our time with church, our time with community, our time with others was shrinking. So much so that by 2017, that's the amount of time that we generally spend roughly an hour and a half or so without a screen in front of us. That's pretty intense when we start talking about how do we interact with other people? Where are we at? Both of these passages, Colossians and Ephesians, tell us the idea that we are to be uh, using our time to live wisely, especially toward those who are not believers. We have to look not only at 
ourselves, our time, our communication, our talking with others, but also our testimony. Our digital testimony. Have you ever thought about that? That you actually have a testimony that is outside of your flesh and blood right here. If you have anything on the internet, you have any social media site, you have a digital testimony. We talk about guarding our digital footprint, watching where all your information goes. But have you thought about your digital testimony? The fact that you are a light on the hill. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Why do we do all that? We don't cover our light with a bushel, but rather we want them to see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. You put on your status, I'm a Christian. You put on your your update, this is who I am, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then you post stuff that has vile, offensive words on it. How, How does that match up? You might, not, you might say, oh, I don't put anything violent and offensive. But I like things that are contrary to God's word. And people notice the inconsistencies. But then you wonder, well, why, why don't you want to listen? I'm telling you about the greatest thing you ever have had. You've put this bushel over your light. You've dimmed it. You look and say, hey, I, I, want, to, I want you to know about Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure, sure, I slandered that, that group of people over here and I you know, it was racially derogatory. But that, that's, that's not them. That, this is what you really need to know about. It doesn't match. And people notice those inconsistencies. So we have a responsibility to look and say, hey, wait, if I say that I have fellowship with him while I walk in darkness, I'm lying. I'm not practicing the truth. What are you liking? What are you commenting on? What are you reposting? What are you uploading? Are you uploading things that would not be uploaded if, you, if Jesus Christ was uploading them for you? Are you putting things out there that, that are just, hey, they look great, but over here you've got other stuff. You've got a secondary account where other people know about it and they follow your spam account and your spam account's trash, but this account looks great because mom and dad are really happy because they watched that one. We have a, fo- a responsibility, fellowship with light with darkness, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Even as believers, as we start looking and saying, hey, Match.com or, you know, Christian Mingle or whatever, you have a responsibility to be taking this truth to a social media. For some of you, you're on those sites, you're looking for, uh, you know, a, a life partner, a marriage, an opportunity to somebody to date. You have to take that principle and say, hey, this is, this is important to look and to say, this is my responsibility to not be unequally yoked and to portray myself, to be honest, as an individual who has fellowship with light and loves Jesus Christ. It's our digital testimony. Our digital testimony, the psalmist says, I will exalt, I will praise you. They should, our testimony should be exalting God. They should shine for the world to see. Now, with that in mind, think about something too. Typically, the people you're friends with, don't they tend to almost always think generally like you? you know, so if, if, I'm, if I think that my evangelism is going great because I'm sharing the gospel continually, but 95% of the people who are, who are looking at it are you, and you're all like, hey, that's great. He's evangelizing us. Wait, we're already saved. We have, to, we have to look and say we have to be careful because our testimony, it should be consistent. Fellowship light with darkness but our digital testimony is not sufficient. It's not enough. If you believe this is the only thing you need to do for evangelism, it's not complete. 
Sure, you can go through the gospel and sure people can get saved through it. And there have been situations like that. But don't just rely on that because more than likely most of the people who are following you already think like you. You probably don't have an inordinate number of unsaved unbelievers really wanting to follow the godly Christian who's always going to church. Look and say, I need a responsibility. I have a responsibility to be sharing the gospel more than just on my, my website. So let's talk about some practical considerations. Gentlemen, can we hand those, those yellow sheets out real quick? <clears throat> I want to I challenge you with something this week. We could easily look and just say, okay, I need to have good words on, the, on, the, on my postings. I need to have good words, make sure that they're kind and they're true, uh, make sure that they're necessary, make sure they're not illegal. But I want us to take a moment and say, wait, I need to not only think about my words, I need to think about my testimony. I need to be thinking about other people. Think, of, think about something for, for a moment. Both Paul and John, they highlight, they highlight this truth. They say, hey, we wish that we could, um, we wish that we could come to you to speak to you. Second uh, John verse, I believe it's 12 and 13 and 3 John verse, verse 13 as well. They're looking and they're saying, John is looking and saying, I wish that I could come to you and talk to you, but I can't, so I'm writing you this letter, but when I come to you, I will see you. I will have a face-to-face ministry with you. Paul says the same thing to the Colossians. He says, I, I wish that I could be with you. I wish that I could see and talk to the people in Laodicea, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. But he says, I can't, so I am writing this letter to you. And when you get this letter, share it with them. Pass it on. So what they end up doing, both of them having this desire to minister personally, to look in our lives and say, I have a responsibility because my digital testimony is not sufficient. I need to have interaction with other people, with flesh and blood. And look and say, we have this responsibility to one another. So, so you look and say, okay, because they did not, they used the media that they have to communicate their thoughts. We too must look to minister in a real community and not just in our virtual community. Now you may look and say, well, wait, I, I don't do anything, anything virtual. I don't have anything out there. I just have an email, which means you have something out there. But you look and say, I don't, I don't do any of that. Take it, a, take it a step further. For some of you, you have this alternate virtual reality that you live in, and there's some really good things about it. There's some really dangerous things about it. But think of it like this. Ministering at a distance and ministering reality face to face. And what I would like you to do is look at that, look at that sheet and say, okay, how do I take some of these situations and how do I live them out? How do I live them out in a digital thing? Don't think about the negatives. Think about some positives. So it could be that you find out that somebody's got these huge medical bills and what am I going to do? It happened this, uh, with Christina, Christiana over in Portugal a couple, a couple months ago where some of, the, some of the individuals, some of the young adults and some other people in the church started a GoFundMe page to try and help get her a wheelchair. And they got some funds that went that way. They used social media, social technology, digital media in order to help meet a need of an individual. But there also came a point where us, we as a body came together and we did our best to help out too and met the rest of those funds. There was, a, there was a natural thing. But what about somebody else? What could you do face-to-face? Now, in that situation, you can't get over to Portugal. It's at a distance. But what do you do if you find out somebody has bills? 
Think practically for a second. Look through some of those. You're not going to be able to do them all right now. But what could you do via email? What could you do via Facebook? What could you do via Twitter, Instagram? Some way to, to minister at a distance. What can you do by writing a letter, by writing a note? That's still media. That's still doing something at a distance. Because we need to look and say, not just what is on the internet or not just what is happening with our social media, but how do we make our media that we use, whether it's handwriting, whether it's a text, whether it's a phone call, how do I use my technology to minister to one another? Because if we just leave it with this virtual aspect, it's not sufficient. We must minister face-to-face. We have to look and say, I must digitally discern what the Scriptures say. And I must take those truths and these commands and principles and apply them to my life. So this week, how are you going to apply your talk to your digital world? How are you going to work this week? Are we going to, are we going to make sure we use the most of our time? What are we going to do? Maybe it is putting that cell phone to the side. Maybe it's turning off alerts. Maybe it's turning off push notifications that every time you go, hey, you need this, go look here. Maybe it's going to be looking and saying, while I'm, while I'm doing my cyber schooling, I'm going to put the, put the music to the side so I can focus and make the most use of my time. What's it going to be to be time-wise? And what are we going to do about our testimony? How are we going to reach out to one another? How are we going to reach out to the world? And not just be content with, it's good enough here, but let's go forward. Let's go beyond just the digital. Let's get to the real opportunities of face-to-face ministry with one another and watch God bring us together so that we can be strengthened, so that we can go out and share the great graces of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help me this week to guard my tongue, to be very cautious with what I say, what I type, what I text, what I post and upload. Lord, help me to be wise this week with my time as I work here for you. Lord, help me to be wise with my time in my life. Lord, help me to have a good testimony. Help it to honor you, not to show my rebellion that my heart so desperately wants. But Lord, help me to honor you with my life. And Lord, I pray that you would do the same for each of our friends here. Help us to minister grace to people through our words, through our lives, through our testimonies. In your name we pray. Amen. Hopefully see you here Thursday as we meet in the North Hall for those opportunities to talk and have that open forum. If not, we'll see you later on this week. Lord.